I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's Denton Day on 106.7 The Fan at the Denton Day on Twitter. Championship weekend, the first game of the weekend. The NFC Championship, the 49ers traveling to Philadelphia to take on the Eagles. Let's head to the BetQL guest hotline. Sports betting has come to Maryland. Don't place that first bet without checking with BetQL. BetQL analyzes every game to find you the most profitable betting opportunities. Get three free days of BetQL access by downloading the BetQL app or visiting BetQL.com. Oscar Aparicio, the Better Rivals podcast, good enough to join us. You can find him on Twitter at Better Rivals. Does a wonderful job breaking down and covering the San Francisco 49ers. Oscar, I appreciate you jumping on, man. Hope you're well. How do you feel about 24 hours ahead of game? time then it's always good to talk to you because that means the Niners are doing some fun stuff <laughs> usually they're in the playoffs uh, or they have a good matchup against uh, the the Washington football team so it man it's good to be here again you look at what Kyle Shanahan's done I mean the team is either in the NFC championship game or getting a top 10 pick so you're getting, like excited on, on either end of the scale and and I think these are two of the best teams in the NFC if not maybe the the NFL and, and it's, it's really good to be a part of the dance this late again. Do you think that this is one of the better years that Kyle Shanahan has had as the coach of the team, considering all of the revolving door, it almost has felt like a quarterback? I do. I mean, I think that he's a legitimate coach of the year candidate for this very reason. I mean, usually when you see, you know, second, third string quarterbacks, you're like, okay, the season's toast and, and not going to lie. When, when Jimmy Garoppolo goes down in that game against Miami, as a fan, I'm thinking the exact same thing. I'm thinking, well, here we go. Another season where you're going to be playing for that top 10, top 10 pick. And, and you look at what happened in Miami, you look at what happened in Baltimore. And, and it's pretty clear that the system that Kyle Shanahan built around the quarterback, it's almost like he, he knew he needed the, the quarterback to be the last piece. And now he just needs, you know, a, a quarterback to, to really run the offense and be the point guard. And he's got someone who can do that in Brock Purdy. What have you made out of Brock Purdy? Do you subscribe to the, the theory or the narrative that everybody seems to be pushing nationally that eventually Brock Purdy is going to screw this thing up for San Francisco? Or do you think he's better than that? I don't know that it will necessarily be screw this thing up, but I do think that, you know, he's a quarterback that only has, you know, seven or eight games under his belt. He hasn't seen the full litany of what defenses can or will throw at him. And, and the Eagles have a really, really good defense. And so I do expect that, you know, you, you might have some of that. You might think to yourself like, oh, no, he's, he's had some drop picks, you know, that, that haven't gone 
the defense's way and that have gone the way of the 49ers. But I do think that the moment is not too big for him. And so I don't think he's going to get, you know, deer in the headlights, terrible rookie mistake type of stuff. Um, but he's, you know, he's proven that he can really play in tough games from Seattle with the division on the line to a wild card playoff game to the divisional playoff game at this point. I think we've got enough to say that, like, he may not be the reason that they win, but I don't know that he's necessarily going to be the reason that they lose. Oscar Aparicio, my guest here on 106.7, the fan at Better Rivals on Twitter. With that in mind, what does Kyle Shanahan have to do to make sure that Brock Purdy goes into Sunday as comfortable as possible and allowing the offense to get out and run it? Yeah, man, it's going to be real tough because what the Niners love to do, and they've done this with Jimmy Garoppolo, they've done this just because of the way Shanahan likes to call plays, is they love to throw in-breaking routes. It's what they do. Dig routes, glance routes, in-breakers are where they live. And, and the thing about the Eagles' defense is that that's usually where they're really good at stopping defenses is in the middle of the field. I think you're going to have to find a way to try to get to the edges and try to whether that be, you know, throws outside the numbers or whether that be Christian McCaffrey out there with some mismatches. I mean, what Shanahan can do is basically, like, show you a shiny object with one in one hand, maybe with Debo in the backfield, and throw a quick, a quick glance route to McCaffrey, which they did against the Cowboys, and it was just a wonderful, wonderful play where it's like, pick your poison. And, and that's why I say Brock Purdy just got to be that point guard. They've got to stay on schedule. They can't get behind the chains because if they start having to drop back 20, 30, 40 times a game, that's when that Eagles pass rush can really take over. So you've got to keep them in just ahead of the sticks in positive game script situations. And, and I think that they'll be able to have a chance to pull it out. What do you see when you watch Phil? I know you're a huge film guy. What do you see when you watch Philadelphia's defense on film? Man, what's, what's tough about them is that they are a really, really sound defense. So the, the Dallas defense was really kind of like hair on fire, run everywhere, athletes at a couple different levels, especially Micah Parsons. I mean, that guy's just all over the place, and their, their secondary is opportunistic. What you see with Philadelphia is just a, a defensive line that has just consistent guys that will bring waves and grind you down and who are really, really technical. I think they've got three pass rushers with a 90 PFF pass rush grade or above. Nick Bosa has a ni- over a 90 PFF rush grade. Imagine having like three Nick Bosa-level <laughs> pass rushers on your team that you can throw at an offensive line whenever you feel that you need to. So I think that's going to be the tough part. The other thing that, that if you're a Niners fan, you think to yourself, oh, well, you know, against the run, they're not so great. But over the, the last five or seven weeks of the season, I think they picked up Lindsey Joseph to shore up their interior, and their run defense has been a lot better. They are a gap-sound defense. They are a smart defense. And, and I think that it's, it's, it's going to be tough, man. It's going to be tough sledding. But if anyone can figure them out, I think Shanahan can. Now, with Jalen Hurts at quarterback, the Eagles lost one game this season. It was a wonderful Monday night game against the Commanders where Washington was very much run heavy on offense. Do you anticipate that, you know, knowing the success that we've seen Kyle Shanahan with designing run plays, is that going to be a similar formula that you think the 49ers try to implement tomorrow? I think it's going to be really interesting to see how Shanahan really feels about Brock Purdy because you actually see him begin to throw early to open up the, the, the run later in the game. And what happened against Dallas is you, you saw a similar type of strategy, like play action early, throw the ball, try to stay ahead, and then once you can get ahead, 
Now you grind it out. It also helped that they had a really good adjustment in the second half with Dallas playing a bit of a bare front, and then they just went to counter runs, which are really good against bare fronts because you get really good angles. And, and that was the touchdown uh, play that Christian McCaffrey scored. Some of their bigger runs were counter runs with Elijah Mitchell. So, uh, you know, he's going to poke and prod that defense over the course of the first half. And then once that second half hits, you, he, he knows how they're reacting to stuff, and that's when he starts unleashing everything. Who's going to be the most dangerous playmaker offensively for San Francisco Sunday? Who is going to be the most dangerous? Man, that's a tough one. I, I think in games like this, you can never count out Debo Samuel. He tends to try to put the team on his back. But I do think that the person who's going to inflict the most damage just because of the way he's involved as the centerpiece of the offense is Christian McCaffrey. He does have a bit of a calf issue going into the game, but there's no way he's not playing. Um, this is, you know, probably for him a fantastic place to be from going from Carolina to San Francisco now. He's going to be a workhorse. He's going to get a majority of the carries because Elijah Mitchell also nursing an injury as well. Um, and what he can do in the passing game, I think that is a true mismatch. And having Debo in the backfield, Christian McCaffrey at wide, that's when you start to see how Philadelphia plays against it. Um, and, and that's when you start to be able to, like, all right, pick your poison. We're going to make you wrong. And, and hopefully that the Niners will make them do that. Oscar Aparicio, my guest here on 106.7 The Fan, at Better Rivals on Twitter. These are the two best rosters, Oscar, I think, of the entire NFL. Philadelphia's offense is mostly led by, by Jalen Hurts and his threat. How, how do you think San Francisco ends up defending Jalen Hurts Sunday? That's going to be the toughest part because the, the one thing the Niners haven't done well on defense, really even not just under D'Amico Ryans, but even under Robert Sala, is contain quarterbacks that can run the ball and run the ball effectively, not just on designed runs, but also on, on scrambles. When you look at design runs, the Niners are probably going to mix up how they play Jalen Hurts. Sometimes they'll squeeze that backside defender because they have someone who's athletic and can do that, someone like a Nick Bosa who can squeeze down and muddy the read for the quarterback and then kind of run to wherever the quarterback's going to go, whether it be give or keep. But they also like to scrape exchange as well, where they basically just fire the defensive end towards the running back, so it makes the read easy for the, the defensive end. And then you've got a linebacker that exchanges a gap and scrapes over the top, and you've got Fred Warner, who's also really, really good at that. So they'll probably mix up how they tackle the, the designed runs. It's really going to be the scrambles that, that could hurt them. And so you might see a pass rush plan that isn't as pressure. Like they're not going to be hair on fire and single gap as much as usual. They might try to just keep him in the pocket or flush him a particular direction. Jalen Hurts, when he goes to his left, is not nearly as effective as when he's able to go to his right. This is not uncommon for most quarterbacks, but it happens with Jalen Hurts too. So they've employed a rush plan like that against Russell Wilson with Seattle where they try to force him to the left. You might see that happen where the team isn't really getting a bunch of sacks, but they're just hemming him in, making him go to his left, and making him uncomfortable enough to reduce his overall efficiency. You know, I think most people would wonder whether or not D'Amico Ryan's interviewing for other jobs in the lead-up to this game would be a distraction. But correct me if I'm wrong, this is like the second or third year in a row that a 49ers assistant has been interviewing. Are they kind of used to this point at this point in the season? At this one, I think so. I mean, you had uh, Robert Sala do something similar. You had, you know, Mike LaFleur, Mike McDaniel. You now have Robert Sala. I mean, the, the 49ers are a factory of churning out head coaches. It's one of the things that made the Bill Walsh era 49ers so good. You get to replicate success with coaches. You get to basically find really, really good people. And that's one of the underrated bits of Shanahan, I think, is 
finding really talented, smart individuals that are not just learning the way that Shanahan does it, but are also contributing in their own way to how things should happen such that they can kind of ascend to those head coaching roles. And, and I think D'Amico Ryans, I mean, he took four interviews the same week that he was prepping against the, the, the Dallas Cowboys and was able to still win that game and turn in a fine defensive performance in, in that second half especially. So the, whatever they're doing, they, they are a coaching factory, and they've got that stuff figured out. I, I don't think it's necessarily going to be a distraction, if, if at all. Do you think there's going to be any sort of creativity in the way that they decide to use Nick Bosa? We know Philly's offensive line is, I would say, maybe the best in the NFL. Should we expect anything creative with Bosa, or is it just going to be, hey, just pin your ears back and go? I don't know it's necessarily going to be just pin your ears back and go, because what they try to do is, is move him on stunts a lot, because they know that he's going to get chipped on the edge with a tight end or a back or something. And so what they do is they try to basically move him both around the line so that he can kind of pick his matchup, but also get him away from those chipping backs and ends. So often what you'll see him do is you'll see him start on the end, and then you'll see the line crash one way and have him loop around to the middle so that he basically runs away from the chip and ends up rushing in the middle. I think those are all things that the Niners have done. They'll continue to do them. One thing that's interesting is what they do is simulated pressures. They don't use them often. Last season, D'Amico Ryans ran simulated pressures like three or four times all season, but two of them were in the divisional game against Green Bay. It's a really good changeup that he uses because it's a, it's a tendency breaker. And so I wonder if that's not something that he will use in a high leverage situation in a third down or a fourth down when he really needs to get a stop is run a sim pressure and put Nick Bosa in coverage uh, because, you know, the, the team is not expecting it and they're expecting him to rush. So I think those are all things that, that D'Amico Renz tries to do. If, you're, if you watch the Niners, it's not necessarily new, but if you're not a, a regular Niners watcher, it might be new to you. One of my biggest takeaways last week was watching Fred Warner. Uh, is that guy a robot? It feels like he is fast all the time. Yeah, he's incredible. He's one of the best linebackers in the NFL, and it's really fun to watch him. What, but he's an eraser in the middle of the field. What he can do to wide receivers carrying that vertical when number two or number three on the inside kind of runs that seam. I mean, the play against Dallas that got a lot of of Twitter reaction was when he's running deep with CD lamb and he's able to, to go from basically the opposite hash and sprint out and actually defend that pass that probably, you know, could have been thrown either to the slant to Zeke or maybe a little earlier to, to CD if that was built in as a hot to their, to their scheme. I mean, he does that week in and week out since he entered the league. He has more passes defensed over expected than any other interior defender in the league. That's just not linebackers. That's interior defenders for the stop. Um, what he does, the, the, the way the defense plays and the fact that they can muddy everything in the middle is exactly what makes that defense go. He's called all pro Fred in the Bay Area for a reason. That's because he's that good. All right, Oscar, I'll get you out of here on this. It's the big question. Sunday NFC Championship game, who wins? Man, it, I think it's going to be a hard-fought game. I don't think it's going to be a ton of scoring. Um, it, it, it would be remiss if I didn't pick my Niners in a squeaker. I think it comes <laughs> down to a two- or three-point game. At this point, uh, you know, it's going to be really, really fun, good football from two teams that are playing at their best. Um, and, you know, it, it's going to be a fun game. But I think the Niners squeak one out with a two- or three-point win, maybe even on the leg of Robbie Gold and, and head over to the Super Bowl. Oscar, appreciate the time as always, my friend. Enjoy the game tomorrow. We'll talk again soon. Awesome. Always a pleasure, Den. Thank you.
That is Oscar Aparicio, the Better Rivals podcast. He's good enough to join us via the BetQL guest hotline. We'll talk a little bit of Caps hockey in 15 minutes with Matt Wyrick of NBC Sports Washington. But coming up next, if you are not a Joe Burrow fan and you are wondering, why does everybody care so much about Joe Burrow? I'll tell you why. He's on the verge of doing something we haven't seen done potentially ever. That's next. You're listening to Denton Day on 106.7 The Fan. It's Denton Day on 106.7 The Fan at the Denton Day on Twitter. Matt Wyrek, NBC Sports Washington, in 10 minutes to talk a little bit of Caps hockey. It's championship weekend in the NFL. Joe Burrow is the coolest guy around. I'm glad that everybody nationally is starting to pick up on what I have known for years. But if you are not into the Joe Burrow craze just yet, allow me to just give you one more bit of information as to why people love this dude as much as they do. It's because he's on the verge of doing something that has never been done. The four-year run that Joe Burrow could particularly be on. Now, some of this does revolve around Sunday. But just follow along here. If Joe Burrow beats Kansas City, which would be the fourth time in four tries, in Arrowhead, by the way, and gets to another Super Bowl, and then hypothetically, and this is a big hypothetical, I get it, but if he then wins that Super Bowl, this is the greatest four-year run of anybody since Tom Brady in his final couple of years in New England. I mean, 16, 17, uh, 18. They won two Super Bowls that year, then you could either do 2015 and that to you know, complete the four-year run or 2019 to complete the four-year run. But that four-year run, that's two Super Bowl wins for Tom Brady. Now, Joe Burrow hasn't done that, but in 2019, he was the best player in college football. And they did not just win the national championship, they dominated Clemson in the national championship. I mean, generational talent in Trevor Lawrence, who's awesome, it wasn't even close. It was a beatdown on national television, and for my money, it is the greatest offense, that LSU team, that college football has ever seen. You cannot point to me a better offense than that one. Joe Burrow was amazing that year. He gets drafted to Cincinnati. He gets hurt midway through the season playing the Washington football team. He recovers from that injury. They draft his best friend, and then he gets to the Super Bowl in year number two. If he gets to the Super Bowl again in year number three, let alone wins the damn thing, that's the greatest 40-year run for a guy under the, under the age of 30 that we've ever seen. I mean, think about this. He is in year three, potentially getting to his second Super Bowl. Mahomes did that, and we crowned this guy a future Hall of Famer, a drop dead. He could retire today, and Mahomes would be a Hall of Famer. Now, the one thing that Mahomes has uh, that Burrow would not have, even if this scenario comes to fruition, would be the, the MVP trophies. But Joe Burrow has, has basically leaped the entire line. He's the second best quarterback in the NFL. Mahomes has won. Joe Burrow was two. Both of those guys, they're better right now than Aaron Rodgers. They're better than Tom Brady. We saw what Joe Burrow did to Josh Allen. They're the top two quarterbacks right now in the National Football League. And they're going through one another for the second straight year in a row. I don't know how you're not romantic about football, if you're not. 
I mean, this is this is amazing. This is Hollywood esque content. I usually hate that 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 it's cliche. Yo, sports are Hollywood, but it really is. If Joe Burrow beats Mahomes again, he has his number, and then he gets to his second Super Bowl in three years with a team that was basically garbage when they drafted him. It gives me hope. If you're a fan of the Commanders, it should give you hope that you really are just a quarterback away. It's the right quarterback, which is a tough thing to find, obviously, but you really are just the right quarterback away from being a trash organization to a contender on a yearly basis. I love Joe Burrow. I think he's the I think he is he really is special. I've been on Joe Burrow by the way since prior to that 2019 LSU year. It was a 2018 LSU year. I was like, you know what? I'm going to like this Joe Burrow guy. I saw him get smoked in their bowl game. I think it was against uh, UCF. Uh, He got smoked in their bowl game and immediately popped back up. And I was like, that's a guy that I can root for. He probably shouldn't have been allowed back in the game. They probably should have taken him on the sideline. Like, hey, buddy, like you just got destroyed. You got depleted. We got to check you out. But they didn't. He got right into the ball game. I've been a Joe Burrow lover since before being a Joe Burrow lover was cool. But if he goes and wins a Super Bowl uh, this year, beats Kansas City again in Arrowhead, I mean, come on. You, even the even the Joe Burrow deniers, they, they can't deny the greatness if he does that again. And Jamar Chase, by the way, awesome as well. I'm going to save the picks for you, but I'm going to finish the show giving you my pick who I think will end up playing in the Super Bowl. We'll do that coming up in about 20 minutes. But coming up next, Matt Wyrick, NBC Sports Washington. Talk a little bit of Caps hockey. The trade deadline is quickly approaching a little over a month away. Are the Caps buyers? Are they sellers? Are they a goaltender away from being an NHL Stanley Cup favorite? We'll ask all those questions to Matt coming up next. You're listening to Denton Day on 106.7 The Fan. You're listening to Denton Day on 106.7 The Fan at the Denton Day on Twitter. Let's head out to our BetQL guest hotline. Sports betting has come to Maryland. Don't place that first bet without checking with BetQL. BetQL analyzes every game to find you the most profitable betting opportunities. Get three free days of BetQL access by downloading the BetQL app or visiting BetQL.com. Matt Wyrek, NBC Sports Washington, good enough to join us here at Bat at by Matt Wyreck on Twitter, where you can find him. Matt, appreciate you jumping on. Hope you're well, my friend. Uh, a couple things I want to touch on, but I feel like we should first start with the game we saw uh, on Thursday between the Caps and the Pens. What was your biggest takeaway from the win? Hey, Denton. Thanks for having me on, man. Appreciate it. Uh, yeah, that was that was a typical Capitals-Penguins game. You know, very high shot volume, uh, a tight back-and-forth affair. Capitals had momentum for the first period, shifted Pittsburgh's way from there. And then, of course, they went back and forth in the third and ended up taking a shootout. So, you know, I think there are times where this Capitals team has let games like that slip away, but they didn't let that happen on Thursday night in a really an important game for the Capitals in terms of the standings with Pittsburgh being a team chasing them for that top wildcard spot. I know Ovi and, and Crosby are older than they once were, but do you still feel like this rivalry still has that, you know, that rivalry feel that it once did early in their careers? Oh, absolutely. I mean, these are two guys who are, you know, despite their ages, despite being the back half of their 30s, they're still among the best players in the game, and they're still playing the same exact type of game that they have throughout their careers. Crosby, one of the best centers in all the NHL, and we know uh, Ovechkin's goal-scoring pace has not waned as he has gotten deep into his 30s on pace for another 50-goal season. So, you know, Ovechkin does find a way to bring it when he goes up against some of the best players in the NHL, and I don't think Crosby is any exception. 
Uh, so you wrote about this earlier this week, but an update on John Carlson. Fill us in. When can we possibly see him back on the ice for the Caps? Yeah, Carlson was spotted on the ice yesterday uh, for the first time since that scary injury where he took a puck off the side of his face. Uh, it wasn't anything major, really just light laps around the ice, wasn't even wearing a non-contact jersey, and it doesn't look like he's going to be joining the team anytime soon. The Capitals uh, announced that he will be reevaluated at the end of February, so it probably won't be at least until early March, if not later, uh, when Carlson is able to come back. And with the March 3rd trade deadline looming, I think that's an important date as well. Uh, looks like we'll probably won't see him at least until after the trade deadline. Do, do you think if he comes back in the mid to late March time frame that that will be enough time to get him ramped up up to speed to where he can really contribute on a potential postseason run? I think so. You know, he's been there, done that before, certainly had a lot of games under his belt this year, has dealt with a few injuries uh, the last couple of seasons, and, and this year uh, a couple of stints now on long-term injured reserve. But, you know, I think that he'll have enough time if, if, if needed to come back in late March. Certainly, you know, a couple of weeks there before the playoffs, that would give him the opportunity to play. But I would not be surprised if we don't see Carlson until the playoffs begin just because of the salary cap implications the capitals had to move him to ltir to bring nicholas backstrom back and if they do want to make any moves at the deadline it will be tough to fit carlson's contract under the salary cap so that's certainly a factor as well but you know his health is first and foremost the capitals are worried about most and they're taking things slow right now so it doesn't look like they're in any rush to bring him back it feels like slowly but surely the team is starting to get more and more healthy, get some of their guys back. Obviously, the biggest one recently was Backstrom coming back. Do you think that's starting to be felt in the locker room where it feels like now they're really starting to get their guys and it's transitioning and translating into wins? Absolutely. You know, this is a team that had been playing really good hockey throughout the month of December, and then they all of a sudden get Tom Wilson and Nicholas Backstrom back in the lineup. I mean, that's a huge boost just for locker room morale, just for belief and what this organization is doing. You know, it has been a a bit of an up-and-down road since they inserted those two guys back into the lineup. They've had to test out a lot of different combinations and and figure out what works. And, you know, they they get a win against Pittsburgh on Thursday, and I think that's something for them to build on, particularly on the power play. They get a goal there. So a a lot to like for this team, you know, moving forward. They're finally getting some of these guys back. Wilson, of course, is dealing with a lower body injury now. Uh, But ultimately, this team, as you said, is getting healthier and healthier. T.J. Oshie is in there. You know, and I think that they have a lot of confidence that they can, you know, may, maybe pull off a surprise run, you know, when this team hasn't had the expectations that it used to, you know, a couple of years ago. Matt Wyrek, my guest here on 106.7 The Fan, at by Matt Wyrek on Twitter. You mentioned the March 3rd trade deadline. It, it's quickly approaching. Are you anticipating any sort of big splash or big move for the Caps there? Yeah, I think that, you know, with their salary cap situation, it certainly makes for a bit of a tough tough situation with Carlson being on LTIR. LTIR they're not sure, you know, where how much calorie cap they're, space they're going to have. Uh, so it, it might not be the biggest splash, certainly, if Carlson is going to be out into the playoffs that opens up a few more possibilities. Uh, but ultimately, I think that, you know, the most logical additions are probably, you know, a right shot defenseman, somebody for that bottom pairing there, maybe a winger uh, to add a depth piece, but maybe nothing too crazy. Are you confident right now? Do you think the team is confident in the net with uh, the guys they have there for a postseason run? Absolutely. I think Darcy Kemper and Charlie Lindgren have both been bedrocks of this team. You know, while the team was struggling early on to start the year, we had Darcy Kemper really playing some excellent hockey, kind of winning games for the Capitals at times. 
And then when he went down, Lindgren stepped in and played really well. And that's when the Caps really caught fire was when Lindgren was in net. So, you know, whether it's been Kemper or whether it's been Lindgren, I think they've been confident that both of those guys can can hold their own between the pipes and, and certainly win a game if they have to. We've seen it time and time again. So, you know, with Kemper being that, that number one starter, the guy who helped lead the Colorado Avalanche to a Stanley Cup title last season, uh, you know, I think they have a lot of confidence in those two guys, and, and certainly they don't feel the need to make any upgrades. Is there any player on the team that you think is most likely to get dealt by the time we hit that March 3rd trade deadline? I think that if the Capitals are to make a splashy move, players who maybe are on expiring contracts or have large cap hits are probably the most likely to be moved just because that will allow the Caps the most flexibility to fit players in. Players like Lars Eller, who has $3.5 million left on his deal uh, in terms of AAV for this season, he's on an expiring contract. A lot of their defensemen are as well. And then Anthony Mantha, $5.7 million cap hit. He's under contract through next season, but being a healthy scratch for the last five games, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, if he was in, under consideration there. But a lot of options for GM Brian McClellan on the table right now. I'm sure he's not committing one way or the other at the moment. Matt Wyrick, my guest here on 106.7 The Fan. Uh, Matt, I'm sure you saw the the promo for the new Ovechkin greatness documentary that ESPN is working on. What were your initial takeaways when you, when you saw the roughly two-minute clip? Yeah, I think it's certainly exciting. You know, they're going to be dropping it the day of the NHL All-Star game, so a lot of attention will be focused on the sport, and Ovechkin has kind of been at the center of it this year. I mean, in this goal chase now with him and just Wayne Gretzky alone, you know, this is a momentous occasion for hockey, a momentous occasion really for all sports. I mean, we haven't seen anything like this in, in decades in terms of, you know, a player really chasing that top mark. I mean, we see LeBron chasing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for the all-time points mark uh, in the NBA this year, but I don't know if that really compares to, you know, kind of the sexiness of a goal in the NHL. That that really just stands out. It's the, the statistic uh, for this sport, and certainly, you know, Ovechkin, you know, you couldn't pick a better player uh, to be chasing in a better face for the game. So I think, uh, you know, any spotlight on him is exciting, and certainly it's going to be something worth watching when it comes out. You know, I mentioned this earlier in the show, and I'm glad you brought this up, too. I know that ESPN is going to treat this a little differently than the way they treat LeBron chasing Kareem because ESPN loves LeBron. But how important is it that a company like ESPN really, you know, shines the spotlight on Ovechkin surpassing Wayne Gretzky when he eventually does? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this this national attention that Ovechkin is bringing to the sport is something that, you know, the NHL, it, it can be hard hard to find sometimes. I mean, hockey... Uh, has you know trailed other sports and ratings before, but this is something where you know Ovechkin really puts a spotlight on the sport, and it's something that you just don't see very often. And you know you go go entire eras without seeing a goal chase like this. So I think it's a, a really exciting thing for for the Capitals, exciting for the NHL, and certainly you know with ESPN you know shining the spotlight, they're excited to, to see one of their biggest and brightest stars you know really thrust into it and opening up maybe more than we have seen uh, in the last couple of years. Matt, I'll get you out of here on this. And again, I greatly appreciate your time this afternoon. But uh, they, they dropped the, the Stadium Series sweaters, the white with the big eagle on the front. What are your takeaways from those? I, per- I love it personally. Yeah, I think that the fans were clamoring for the, for the Weagle uh, logo to make its way onto a jersey. And I thought it was well executed. I mean, just to have uh, the white, uh, I thought was awesome. You know, they don't have a ton of white jerseys. Uh, as of late, they really just have that road one. Uh, so for them to bring kind of the white back as the main color, I think was cool. And, you know, with the contrast of the Canes, who have black and red as their jerseys, I think it's going to look awesome on the ice. And certainly the Stadium Series game and, and any outdoor game in the NHL is, is always fun to watch. So I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to that and seeing those jerseys in action. I think they look much better on the players uh, with the numbers and everything than they do maybe <laughs> in the photos. 
Matt, appreciate the time, my friend. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, and we'll do this again soon, all right? Sounds good, then. Thanks so much. That is Matt Wyrek, NBC Sports Washington, at by Matt Wyrek on Twitter, where you can find him. Uh, I still will say I, I don't love releasing the doc for Ovechkin at a, on a Saturday at 2 p.m. I think for an NHL fan, that probably works because if you're locked into the NHL All-Star weekend, you're going to be locked into that. But if you're really thinking about growing the game and reaching out to the casuals that might not be spending all Saturday locked around the television for the All-Star festivities, you slap the, the documentary for Ovechkin chasing Wayne Gretzky a record that I think once it was set, nobody thought was going to be broken. You you place that documentary on a prime time when you don't have an NBA or a college basketball game on there. And he has, like ESPN has eight channels damn near, right? Like they have the amount of, uh, of uh, television capital to where they can slap that on. And if you don't want to watch a college basketball game of like the Big 12 on a Thursday, you can flip over to ESPN2 and watch Alex Ovechkin. I just I don't love the placement of when they're deciding to release it. I get it because it's the All-Star weekend, but this should really stand on its own as something special that helps the coverage, uh, generally speaking, of the All-Star game, not just putting it right before some of the festivities on Saturday. That's just my two cents of it, but you know, ESPN still doesn't maybe love hockey as much as we think they should. I'm Denton Day at the Denton Day on Twitter. Coming up next as you wrap up the show, my picks for championship weekend in the NFL. Who represents the AFC? Who represents the NFC? And a couple of prop bets for you to make some money this weekend. That's next on 1067 the fan. It's Denton Day on 1067 the fan. At the Denton Day on the Twitter machine. Big thanks to all of the guests that joined us this afternoon. John Crispin, Oscar Aparicio, and then just recently Matt Wyrek. Big thanks to them for all jumping on. It is championship weekend in the NFL, and I am a degenerate gambler, so I'm going to help you make a little bit of money. I'm looking at the live lines now. In the NFC... Philadelphia is a two and a half point favorite. The over-under is at 46 and a half. And the AFC, Kansas City is a one and a half point favorite. The over-under at 48 and a half. Now, if you paid attention to the lines this entire week, the amount of movement in the Kansas City and Cincinnati game has been fascinating. And it's because of the ankle of Mahomes and not knowing if he's 100%, not knowing what kind of Patrick Mahomes is going to be on display for Kansas City. It opened the lines did as three points. And then when there was more questions about Mahomes' ankle, it swung to Cincinnati being a one and a half point favorite. And now that Mahomes is starting, it has swung back to Kansas City being a one and a half point favorite. If you don't gamble frequently, that is not normal. Those swings constantly, I mean, it's literally been a pendulum for the better part of six days. That is not a normal thing in gambling. I think that makes the intrigue surrounding that game substantially higher. But in spite of all of the swings that we have seen with that number, people love Cincinnati to the point where it's almost worrying. I've looked at a couple of different uh, sets of numbers 
Uh, one on DraftKings, I think DraftKings said that their number uh, in terms of percentage is like nearly 80% of the public money is on Cincinnati. 80%! That is mind-blowing. Like, that is a huge number, and I generally have taken the approach of fading the public because, let's be honest, a lot of the people that are gambling, there are a lot of really smart people that gamble, and there are people that have no idea what they're doing. So I love fading the public, but it's against my creed at this point to bet against Joe Burrow. I mean, it's something I simply will not do. So my pick is the Bengals. I'm taking them on the money line. Forget the points. I'm taking them on the money line, and right now they're plus 108, so that's positive money for me. But man, if you are more of a contrarian, you're taking the Chiefs in this one because 80%, that's a, I mean, I, I still can't get over that number. Now, I did look at a, a another set of numbers that said it was uh, closer to 70%, not 80 but still 70% of public money being against Patrick Mahomes is a mind-blowing number, so... I'm a little worrisome about that, but I'm taking the Bengals to win the game straight up in the AFC. In the NFC, this is a little stickier. Right now, the number's two and a half. It's stayed pretty much around there. There hasn't been nearly as much swinging as there was with Cincinnati and Kansas City. From a betting standpoint, I would like that number to get to three, and then I would buy the half point and take San Francisco to cover three and a half. So that's my hope by the time it kicks off tomorrow at 3 p.m. We got about 24 hours for that to move about half, half a point. So then I could again get San Francisco at three and a half. I want San Francisco to win. I don't like Philadelphia. I do not want to see Philadelphia succeed. I know rivalries are kind of withering away in today's sports because everybody's so friendly. But I'm old school. I love a rival, and I don't like seeing NFC East teams succeed and get to the Super Bowl. We've already seen Philadelphia win once over the last five-ish years. I don't need to make it twice, but I do think Philadelphia wins this game. I think the I think Jalen Hurts is going to have a really strong performance at the quarterback spot. And again, A.J. Brown is the guy. A.J. Brown wanted the football last week when they were crushing the New York Giants. He wasn't thrilled with the amount of times he got the ball. I think Nick Sirianni and the offense are going to make it a uh, a meaningful effort to get A.J. Brown the football against San Francisco on Sunday. And I just don't know how you stop A.J. Brown. I mean, if you are really locked in, even still, he's just such a, a physical specimen. He's like 6'4". I don't know what he's weighing in that. I don't even know how much I believe the the weights at this point in the season. But uh, A.J. Brown, he weighs in at 227 pounds. All right, he, they say he's 6'1". He doesn't look 6'1". He looks like he's at least 6'2 or 6'3", but his official measurement is 6'1", 227. He has to be pushing at least 235. I mean, he is a huge human being. If you get into a goal line position, he's getting the football. I mean, we saw that here in D.C. The first time these two teams played, Benjamin St. Juice played perfect coverage on a quick slant that A.J. Brown ended up scoring on. And the only thing that Benjamin St. Juice could not do was bring A.J. Brown's 227-6-1 frame down. He is a terminator that is playing the wide receiver. I think A.J. Brown is going to end up having a huge day for the Philadelphia offense. And I think that's going to be just a tad too much for San Francisco to handle, but I do want to point out, 
I don't think Brock Purdy's going to play bad. I don't think he's going to play well enough to win the football game for San Francisco, but I do not think Brock Purdy is going to play as bad as certain people think because he's this Mr. Irrelevant, this seventh-round pick, third-string quarterback, like all of that nonsense that people have been spewing. I'm not really buying that. I just think that Philadelphia is going to be the better team on Sunday. So I think the Eagles and the Bengals are your Super Bowl matchup. I did have at the beginning of the season, and I got receipts for this for anybody that wants it. I did have San Francisco and Cincinnati as my preseason Super Bowl uh, matchup, so I'm just going to miss by a hair. But I think Philadelphia and Cincinnati are going to be your Super Bowl matchup. But we're not done. We're not done in terms of making you some money. I do have a couple of prop bets that if you want to get involved in the degenerate side of being a sports fan that you should look at. I think Dallas Goddard anytime touchdown at plus 190. That's what I'm seeing right now on FanDuel. If you can jump on that, go ahead and do so. I think in those scenarios where you're inside uh, the the red zone, but maybe not quite at the goal line there, you know, 11, 10 yards out, Dallas Goddard's going to be a menace to defend. So much of the attention is going to be on A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith, and then, of course, on Jalen Hurts. I think Dallas Goddard finds the end zone at plus 190. And I think in the AFC, Tyler Boyd, anytime touchdown at plus 290. I am adamant, and I'm telling you, Tyler Boyd is going to have a strong performance for Cincinnati. He didn't play great the last time these two teams played. He dropped a touchdown pass. He's not dropping the touchdown on Sunday. I think he gets into the end zone at plus 290. Also, I would take Philadelphia and San Francisco's over 46.5. I think a lot of people think great defense on one side, great defense on the other side. Surely this is going to be a low-scoring game. You can still put up points, though. I think Philadelphia and San Francisco hit the over at 46 and a half. That's going to do it for me. Thanks to John Crispin, Oscar Aparicio, and Matt Wyrick for joining. You can hit me up on Twitter at the Denton Day. Big thanks to Caitlin doing a great job producing for both me and AWOD. I'm out of here. Have a great rest of your week and enjoy the football tomorrow. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.